Well, welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George, and I'm honored to have the great Reverend Pastor Theologian Dr. Dudley Rutherford on the call. <laughs> hey, Rusty, how are you, man? Man, I am. I am good. And Dudley, there's so much I want to talk to you about today uh, because we're recording this on September the 30th, 2020. And tomorrow marks the 20th anniversary of Real Life Church. And that is uh, a church that is primarily here because of you and you and your church deciding that you wanted to plant a church in the Santa Clarita Valley. And I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about it's also an anniversary for your church for something. I want to hear about that and your journey. But one of the things that you and I have in common that a lot of people don't know is we are both from the same home church in Wichita, Kansas. Your dad was my first senior pastor. And I think I've told you this before, but he's one of the primary reasons I decided to be a pastor because I actually liked going to church as a very young kid. I remember kindergarten, first, second grade, sitting there listening to your dad preach and the stories he would tell would make my dad cry and, and people stream down the aisle. And I thought, man, this is amazing what this guy is doing. T tell me about growing up with a dad who's a pastor. Well, Rusty, we've never talked about that, but I've said that e exact same thing, that when I was growing up as a kid, that I loved going to church, uh, not only for my dad, but it was just the funnest place to be. And dad would bring in all these guest preachers from all over the country. And I just grew up, all I knew was great preaching and, and, mm. and great preachers. I also remember your dad. Uh, you said that my dad made your dad cry. People need to know your dad was a very gregarious man who <laughs> laughed. He was, every time you saw him, he was laughing at something. Uh, and a very, very contagious, funny guy. And uh, I remember growing up at that great church, Countryside Christian Church, and you were younger. You were behind me quite a few years. But I remember when I went off to Bible college, you were just a little kid running around the running around the church facility, mm -hmm. but uh, I do think it's, I, th I do think we have part of the same, we come from the same Christian heritage as far as the church there in Wichita, Kansas, that at the time was one of the largest Christian churches in the whole country. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's, you know, it's gone through its share of, of difficulties and had its, its hardships, but the number of pastors and preachers that came out of that church that, uh, young men and women who are involved in ministry even today. And I remember when, when I, out of high school, when I went to Ozark Christian College, we went to the same college. There were like 30 plus other kids in the youth group that went to Bible college. Mm -hmm. You remember growing up, we had these church camps and that was some of our best memories as kids was going yep. off to church camp. And so when I went to Bible college, out of that church, again, I think there were 32 or 33, 34 kids. We all went to, we all went to Ozark and it was like Bible college was like church camp for a whole year. Right. <laughs> it was. Uh, now I remember, um, everybody would talk about Dudley, uh, as being this incredible basketball player and you could have gone division one. You could have gone to a lot of other colleges and yet, you chose to go to Ozark. Was that a tough decision for you to make to go to Ozark over maybe a D1 school and play basketball? 
No, not at the time. Um, uh, you know, I, I went to Wichita Southeast, which at the time was the largest high school in Wichita. But I had made up my mind to become a minister when I was in the ninth grade. Mm. So I, I was just a ninth grader when I committed to go into ministry. So my sophomore, junior, even my senior year, I knew where I was going. What happened was when the basketball started started being a big part of my life and I started getting all these scholarships, I never really thought about it. Uh, this might be interesting, maybe not. I went off to Bible college. I said no to all the, all the scholarships and things. And then when I went to Ozark, I played basketball there, and we had, we had great teams at Ozark. One time I drove down to Tulsa, Oklahoma to watch Indiana State play Tulsa University, and Indiana State had Larry Bird at the time. Yeah. And I had a good ticket. I went in that gym, one of the first big college arenas I'd been in in college, and I just the I, watching Larry Bird and watching those guys up close. I thought, man, I can do. I could be out there with those guys. So after I got to Bible college, there were two or three times where I thought about leaving school, seriously thinking about it, and going off to Bible college and going off to play a Div Division One basketball. But there were some strange and divine stories that took place where God shut those doors, uh, even though they were open. You'd have to hear the stories, but I ended up staying the course and graduate from Ozark and then been in ministry ever since. What year did you graduate from Ozark? Uh, 1980. 1980. So yeah, that would have been the Larry Bird era, Magic Johnson era. What, what, what school would you have gone to had you not gone to Ozark? Where would you have played basketball or uh, wanted I to? I would have either gone to KU or K-State. Okay. So those were... Those were some pretty good teams back then, right? You had yeah. Ted Owens coaching them or Bill Hartman? Uh, no, there's another guy coaching. There's another guy coaching K-State. Again, I was at Ozark, I don't know, my sophomore year and actually called to uh, Kansas State, whatever that coach's name, talked to him on the phone, told me, yeah, if you want to come, I got room for you, come on over, and had actually uh, moved my transcripts to the school. Wow. I mean, I was all ready to go. And I, I was uh, doing an internship in Atlanta, Georgia, at uh, Mount Carmel Christian Church, which was a great church in the South, yep. with Jack Ballard. And the last, the last day of summer, I'd already transferred. I was going to K-State. And uh, I was going to leave Atlanta, go to Joplin, grab all my stuff that was in storage, and, and, and go to Manhattan. And the last Sunday I was in Atlanta – this girl wanted me to go see a friend of hers that was in a nursing home. And she had a friend that was like 20 years old living in a nursing home. I couldn't figure that out because nursing homes are for elderly people. So we go in there and we're walking down these hallways. It's, you know, just smells bad. It's, you know, the sounds are bad. We walk into this room and there's this guy and he's like, he's like paralyzed from the neck down. It's a friend of hers that was, in a car accident, left him paralyzed. And they had him in this, they had him in this, uh, some type of room there in the nursing facility. And, uh, I don't know if that was the only place they could care for him, but we walked in and he's like, he's again, he's literally paralyzed. Uh, but he's got this big smile on his face and I'm just sitting there. I'm just watching the two of them talk. And, uh, 
he, he says to the girl, uh, he says, uh, he goes, guess what I, she goes, she goes, why are you smiling? And he goes, guess what I did today? She said, what? He goes, I preached my first sermon. She said, what? He goes, I preached my first sermon. And I'm just staring at this guy because he's paralyzed, nursing home, big smile on his face. And he said he, just, he, he preached his first sermon. He goes, and yeah, he goes, I went to some church. And, and he goes, they, they wheeled me up front and they put a, I opened up the Bible in front of me. And he goes, I preach. It was great. And when he said those words, I mean, literally, literally that day, after church, I was headed to Joplin in the K-State. But when I met that guy that day, I just, like God saying, Dudley, if this guy is using his talent to preach the word of God, you need to get your rear back into Bible college and, and, and finish what I've called you to do. And uh, called K-State, said I'm not coming, went back to Ozark, started the next year of college. A true story. Oh my goodness! What what year was this? Between your first and second year, sophomore. sophomore. I was a, that was my sophomore summer. Okay, so there's a lot of places to preach around Ozark. There's a lot of tiny little churches that students go out and preach at. You got any favorite experiences from doing that on the weekends? Rusty, this is important for anybody who's going off to Bible college. My dad always said to me, he "said Son, when you go to college, he goes, you need to find a preaching point." And, and I didn't really know what that was, but he said, there's all these little tiny churches. You need to get in the school and make sure every weekend you go find a preaching point. Well, back in those days, uh, Ken Eidelman, when he was president, his secretary was a woman named Jeanette Poole. And, <laughs> he was uh, there when I was there. <laughs> yeah. So she was there and she was the one in charge because she's the president's secretary. And people would come in there. People would call the, call the office and say, hey, can you send out one of the preacher boys? to preach uh, for us this weekend. Well, I don't know about you, but when I was a freshman, there was a rule that the freshmen could not be on a permanent list. The juniors and the seniors were the ones, and you were a freshman. You were, on the, you were only called if they couldn't find anybody else. But for some reason, that, that woman, Jeanette Poole, I, I'd go in every week of school. I'd knock on that door and go in there and sit down and talk to her and uh, she moved me up to the top of the list just because of my persistence. But my dad always said, you need to, you know, when you get out of school, you're going to have a million things going on. And he goes, the most important lesson you will learn at Ozark is trying to get all your homework done and still finding a way to write a sermon. Because real ministry, you have to do a thousand things. And your biggest problem is finding time to write a sermon. Mm. So he said, find a church, go preach. We're besides school, besides basketball. I had a radio program too, back in those days, had a girlfriend back in those, besides all that, you still have to come up with writing a sermon. And the discipline of that uh, was what was one of the greatest things I learned. But I ended up, uh, my first church, uh, that I actually hired me was in uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I got fired uh, from that church because I had three elders who smoked cigarettes inside the church, <laughs> not out, not outside. <laughs> this is Fayetteville, Arkansas, Central Christian Church. I'd leave uh, Ozark every you know, Friday, Saturday, drive to Fayetteville, check into a hotel, 
get up Saturday, call all day, Sunday would preach and go back to school. And these guys, these three elders smoked cigarettes inside the building. And I was, you know, I'm 19, 18 years of age. I didn't know what to do. I decided I was going to wait six months. And then I was going to say something to these guys. Well, one day, uh, Cookson Hills Orphanage. You, you remember Cookson Hills? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the guy calls me up. And, and I forgot to tell you, I only had 40 people. There were 40 people in this church. They were all old. I had one kid. I called him my youth kid, not my youth group. And he was like a great grandson of one of these elderly people. But uh, Cookson Hills calls up. They say, hey, we want to come to church. Can I, we bring the orphanage kids over to the church? I go, yeah, we're having a potluck. So this is really a transforming moment in my life too, brother. But uh, so here it comes, Cookson Hills. Van pulls up. A dozen kids get out. Church goes from 40 to 50 on one weekend. We have all this youth, kids, and we have a potluck downstairs. And um, the guy who runs that orphanage, he goes, I need to talk to you. And he takes me upstairs into the church, and he literally, Rusty, I'm not making this up, he put his finger in my chest. He just, like, pounded my chest. And he goes, I need to tell you something. He goes, these kids fight every day with the temptation to smoke, to drink, to curse. And he goes, the last place I ever thought that these children would have a bad example is the church of Jesus Christ. Mm. Because these guys were smoking inside the church, you see. And he put his finger in my chest and he starts pounding. He goes, listen, you better start preaching what people need to hear and not what they want to hear. And then he said these words, we will never come back to this church. Mm. and he left and so that night we had church i preached sunday morning and sunday night that night i threw my sermon away and i walked out on that stage and man i i unloaded both barrels on that church and you don't know this but up to that time i was very shy uh i i would never say anything confrontational i didn't want to offend anybody i was just a nice polite kid and, uh, but from that moment, mm. God put his fire inside of me where I was not afraid of, to say anything in front of anybody because of that moment. So I preach that night. I told him things like, if God had wanted you to smoke, he'd put a chimney on your head. Uh, I said, well, we'll smoke and send you to hell. No, but it'll make you smell like you've been there and back. I mean, I, I, I gave it to him. And uh, little old ladies came out of church. They were crying. They were thanking me. Well, the next Sunday, I'm coming back to preach. It, it, it's it sleet, sleet, rain all Saturday. I'm out there sliding on the streets, hand putting flyers on cars and doors. And Sunday morning, I get up to preach, and one of those three smokers calls me in the back room, and he goes, we've decided to fire you to let you go. I said, what? He goes, I don't know what he's talking about. He goes, we're going to let you go. I go, what do you mean let me go? Because we're going to let you go. I go, what does that mean? He goes, well, this is your last Sunday. Why? And he goes, financial reasons. I go, financial reasons? You're only paying me $50 a, a week. <laughs> he goes, he goes, well, we, we can't afford you. And I said, I said these words. I said, I'll come for $5 a week. I just want to preach. I just need to preach. He goes, no, this is your last Sunday. I said, have you told the church? He said, no. I said, 
Okay. So I took that sermon. I threw that sermon away. I walked out there on Sunday morning. I gave them both barrels again and never, never walked back into that church. But uh, got fired from my first church because I was preaching against these three guys smoking inside. But from that day to today, in my preaching, I'm bold. I'm brash. I'm not afraid of anybody. I, I don't care if I step on your toes. And, and God just transformed my whole personality through that one story. That's awesome. I've never heard that before. I'm not surprised by people smoking in church in Arkansas back in those days. <laughs> For people who aren't from where we're from, I mean, that was just kind of the norm. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, if you had one, one Sunday left to preach, oh. what would you preach? One Sunday left to preach? Your last sermon. And I don't mean you're 95. But, I mean, you know that this is it. You're going home to be with Jesus tomorrow. What is it? Uh, it would be on evangelism. It, it would be on, It would be on. you know, if you're not saved, if you're not saved, you need to get saved today. And if you are saved, you need to spend the rest of your waking moments on this planet trying to help other people get saved. Hmm. That's the subject of uh, your most recent book, Compelled. And tell us where that came from. It's a lot of your own personal stories, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, uh, that whole book is just inside of me where, um, you know, the scriptures talk about the love of Christ compels us. And, and that word is a word that you, you just can't help yourself. You can't help yourself, but share your faith. And we, there's a lot of stuff in there on motivation it, it's, not really, it's not really telling you how to share your faith. It's more of a book on why you should share your faith. It's, mm. you know, most, most people sitting in our churches are saved, but most of the saved spend very little time in a course of a week sharing their faith. And why is that? Well, because they're afraid. They don't think they know enough. They don't, they're like, they think maybe that's the preacher's job. They have a fear of rejection. There's a lot of anxiety. Uh, so that whole book, if you read the book, it's, it's really a book that after you read this, you will be motivated to get up and to start sharing your faith. Mm. And, uh, you know, you and I, we live here in Los Angeles. There's about 10 million people in the greater Los Angeles area. And most of those people are lost. And our churches would be 10 times bigger if the people in the, in the pews would literally take the words of Jesus to go into all the world, make disciples and actually live that out each and every week. So mm -hmm. that whole book is just written to share things. If you read, you will just, you'll want to get up and start talking to people about Jesus. Well, I would echo that. It's a, it's a great read, and it certainly just pours out of your life, which kind of segues easily into why uh, I wanted to talk to you today, because of you decided to start Real Life Church. Now, this was 20 years ago. Uh, there weren't a lot of churches doing multi-site and campuses and video venues and all those kind of things. It was just church planning, and you decided, based upon the amount of people coming from the Santa Clarita Valley, let's just put a church up there. Uh, how long had you been thinking about this? Uh, give me some of the backstory that maybe some of our listeners don't know about how real life came to be. 
Hey, let's hit pause on the conversation for just a second. Uh, I don't know about you, but I have trouble with my prayer life. Sometimes I get so frustrated after I say amen that I don't hear anything immediately. So a few years ago, I decided to do a deep dive into this and figure out what am I supposed to do after I say amen? I mean, there's so many books about what to do before you say amen and what to do while you're praying, but what about after? So I took a look at all of the ways Jesus responds to people when people ask him for things, and his responses were pretty interesting. And I actually found about seven things we can do while we're waiting on God. So the new book is called After Amen, What to Do While Waiting on God, and it's available on Amazon uh, for pre-orders right now and that would be about $15.99. But if you order through my website, pre-order it right now, you can order it and have it shipped to you for 14 bucks. So I would love to send that to you. It's gonna save you a little bit of money. And more importantly, it's gonna help with your prayer life. I know this study did for me. Now, back to the show. Story that maybe some of our listeners don't know about how real life came to be. Well, it's, uh, it's an interesting story Well, where we were wanting to do a church plant and not, and Rusty, I'm not like a lot of guys. I mean, I'm still involved in little ways, but there's some pastors, all they do is talk to other pastors and find ideas and implement them in their church. And I've, I've just always felt uh, and been real sensitive to what, what is it that God wants me to do here and somewhere along the way, God put it on my heart that we need to do some church plants. And at the time, we, we really didn't have much room to keep growing. We were, we were landlocked. We didn't have a big building. Uh, and, and it was like, if I want to keep growing, we need, we, need to do some, we need to do some church planning. We actually ended up merging with the church, which that anniversary Tomorrow's the anniversary, your 20th anniversary of when Real Life was started. It's the 25th anniversary of when we merged two churches together, hmm. which we can talk about. So we ended up getting down here and we had plenty of room. Um, but I knew that we were supposed to do this church plant. Hmm. So we did a little demographic study and the largest segment of our church, not next to us, was driving over from Santa Clarita. You know, the San Fernando Valley has 2 million people in it. And to the west is Simi Valley. You've got to go up and over the mountains to get into Simi Valley. Well, to the north is Santa Clarita Valley. And it was kind of a booming area, a lot of nice homes, kind of a just a lot cleaner and nicer than down here in the valley. And I think, I don't know the numbers, but we had, you know, maybe 30% of our church or 25% of our church coming down over that valley. So it was like, this is where we need to do a church plant. So uh, going back to the school that we attended, Ozark Christian College, Ken Eidelman was the president. He had a son named Kyle. And Kyle, uh, you know, I knew he was a good speaker, but I, I knew his dad. And I knew that his dad, you know, runs this Bible college. His dad he ran that college like he was just, he was made to run a university mm -hmm. and Kyle, just like I saw you growing up in church, little kid. I kind of saw Kyle grow up and uh, I could just tell that he had a lot of his dad's gifts, a lot of his dad's abilities. 
and he was actually a better speaker than his dad. And mm-hmm. that's not a slight, just Kyle was a great preacher. I didn't know how good he was, but we hired him to come out for one year at Shepherd, And I told him to preach. He preached once a month. And I said, I want you to preach once a month for one year. And at the end of that year, I want you to take as many people as you can up to Santa Clarita and start a church. And he wanted to do a church plant himself. So he came out and these numbers are all important. We were running 3000 in church at the time. We merged in uh, 25 years ago, we were running 1600. So over the next five years, we had doubled. So now we're running about 3000. And we're going to do this church plant. Kyle came out and preached. Brother, I want to tell you, that guy, he was a Pied Piper. When he mm-hmm. preached, people just fell in love. He was young. He was tall. He was good looking. He memorized his sermons word for word. Literally, mm-hmm. he'd stand up there without a single note and just mesmerize people. <laughs> and uh, I always told him, I said, one day when you have your own church and you're preaching every week, you won't have time to memorize. But, you know, you preach once a month, you can memorize your sermon. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he uh, and I told him this, Rusty, this is very important for your church and for any church. But I told him, I said, Kyle, I said, when you start this church, I want you to take as many people as you can. I want you out shaking hands in the lobby, get to know people. And I said, if you take 2,000 people, if we, we do this church plan and you take 2,000 and all I have is 1,000 left, I will be extremely happy. Mm-hmm. I want to get people out of here. Let's go do a church plant. Take as many as you can. I don't want you up there shaking hands and think, well, this is Dudley's biggest giver or this is his best leader or this is his best youth worker. Dudley will be mad if I take him up to do this. No, I said, Kyle. Take as many people as you want. Take whoever you can get. Talk into it. And again, if you take 2,000 and leave me 1,000, no worries. So he does that. He preaches 12 of the greatest sermons I've ever heard. He wows everybody, memorizes these sermons. The day he started, he took 1,000 people. Their first Sunday, you can go back and look at the records. Yeah. first Sunday, they had 1,000 or 1,500 people. Um. And we had about 2,000. But at the end of that year, the next year, 12 months go by, he's up there in Santa Clarita, real life church, fantastic church plant. At the end of that year, Shepherd, he took a thousand. We were running 3,000. Uh, he took a thousand. So that left us with 2,000. But at the end of that year, we were running 4,000. We went from 2,000, he took 1,000, so we go from three to two, but at the end of the next 12 months, we went from 2,000 to 4,000, and I thought to myself, I'm not a math major, but I thought, Lord, I got to do this again, Mm -hmm. and so that's when we started the church in Simi Valley, the the next go-round with uh, Todd Clark, but that's how real life got started. So, I mean, the stories were were just legendary. And I, I, I think you know this, but that mentality of church planning was not really done. That, I mean, the typical way you plan a church is you go out on your own 
and you start knocking on doors and start a Bible study in your living room and hope people come. But to have a pastor say, hey, come with me, um, you know, let me uh, give you my pulpit and you take as many people, and I've heard horror stories of churches that try to do this, and then the pastor follows them around in the lobby and tells people, yeah, you don't really want to go with them. <laughs> but, to, but to be so open-handed and say, take whoever you want, as many as you want. Brother, some of our greatest leaders are still from that day. Um, some of our board members have been from that day. And I mean, I'm still reaping the benefit of that generosity back then. And I, you know, Kyle's, you know, gone on to, to do even greater things, but I just want to tell you, thank you because because you, you made us who we are. And, I, and I'll tell you this, and I've told you this before, but when Kyle left uh, two years in and you called me and said, hey, why don't you come out here and do this? I, I'll never forget the day. I was standing in my living room. I was holding my two-week-old baby. <laughs> Nothing in my mind said, we're moving. I'm in Kentucky. I'm watching UK versus UNC. Well, it could be better, you know? Did you and you call any, and say, you, you need to come to California. I thought, did, you're crazy. Did you have any elders smoking cigarettes inside your church? <laughs> well, it is Kentucky, so. <laughs> oh, they were chewing tobacco. <laughs> they were just, they were spittoons by the door. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. But you said, you got to come. And I said, Dudley, we're from the same place. We don't move to California. We just visit it. Why did you move there? And you said, because you're never going to change the world till you change America. You're never going to change America till you change California. You're never going to change California till you change LA. And man, something snapped in me of that is exactly what I want to do with the rest of my ministry career. And that, that sealed it. Um, I, I had all kinds of other questions for you or opposition, and you just shot them all down and said, you need to come. And I'm 17 years in now. I'm forever grateful for, uh, for talking me into it. Well, you know, uh, you know, Kyle, Kyle had success. He had the hand of God upon his life. If you know the guy, uh, he goes on to work at Southeast Christian church. And it's it, at the time was the largest Christian church. And they, when they called him, I knew, I knew that he would go, yeah. you know, it, it was too big of temptation not to go. So then we had to find who else are we going to find? Uh, to come out here. And of course, going back to how this conversation started today, uh, growing up at that church in Wichita, Kansas, and the, the type of preaching and the evangelistic spirit, those things were not normal. That, those things were not common in churches. And so here at Hillcrest, Shepherd, Real Life, all we've ever known, our DNA is a church that, that cares for other people and, and great preaching. And I don't know, you were just like, you were like the perfect choice because hmm. you had all that church growth in your, it's in your DNA. When you grow up in a growing church, a fun church, a blessed church, you get that inside of you. And uh, it, it's, it's not easy. What Kyle, what Kyle and Dave Stone did following Bob Russell and Southeast, that is not an easy transition. And what you did going in and, and, and following Kyle when he's the founding pastor yeah. of a church plant, it is not easy. But you guys are different in a lot of ways, but you're similar in, in some ways. But it was just a perfect marriage. Hmm. 
And obviously, since you've been there, and uh, just a couple of years ago, you're the fastest growing church in the whole United States of America, mm. you know, speaks to you did the right thing by coming out here and God's blessed your work and God's blessed your church. Well, thank you, buddy. I, I appreciate those kind words. Tell me about uh, the merger, because this is a fascinating story as well. I mean, here, you're at Hillcrest, which is, you know, a booming church at the time. You're way out of room. You'd followed some great preachers as well, Ron Carter and Tom Mall, and you've taken it to another level. And then this merger comes around. And this was unheard of because it was a Christian church merging with a Baptist church. Right. I mean, you're, you're on the cutting edge of a lot of things no one's ever seen or done before, man. You're a trailblazer. Well, no, I don't, it's not very smart. Uh, <laughs> no, we were down the street, uh, Hillcrest. We had a, a rusty, we literally had four sections of eight pews. I mean, when you stood in the pulpit and you looked, you had these four little sections. Each section had eight pews, eight. We had a couple of pews up in a balcony, but we were running a thousand people in that building. Mm. I think I was in five services. We, all, we had a hundred parking spaces and running a thousand. And there were many times where I was discouraged I thought about leaving because God, I just felt God put it in my heart to lead a, a great church. And I just didn't see how in Los Angeles you could, you can't afford land. You can't build buildings, the city governments against you. So Dr. Jess Moody, who's like John Wayne, he was a pastor of what's called first Baptist church in Van Nuys, California. And at one time, it was the largest Sunday school in the United States of America. And he moved out. He sold his old building to Jack Hayford in Church on the Way and came out to Rinaldi just about two miles from Hillcrest. But at that time, Rinaldi was a dead-end street. It was a dirt road. There were no businesses across the street. There were no houses across the street. This was literally the last little area of undeveloped land in Los Angeles, here in the northwest corner. But he had enough faith, and he built this building. But they had so many problems building the building. I remember him telling me at one time while they were building, and he said, Dudley, the city of Los Angeles will never allow another church to be built in this city. They are so anti-God and so anti-church. Mm. But he built this building. He was 70 years old, 70, and uh, they were running about 600. So they went from the largest Sunday school in America down to about 600 people. And again, he was 70. And they were going in the hole 50000 a month. Every month, they were going backwards, $50,000. So they had a nice little building. They had uh, about 12 acres of land. They were $9 million in debt. Mm. They were in default. And they were trying to merge with Rocky Peak, which is another mega church to the West. And I remember I was at Hillcrest praying that the merger of those two churches would happen because they split, they had split 30 years earlier, 20 years earlier, they had split. Rocky wow. Peak and, and Van Nuys, uh, First Baptist, they were the same, they split 20, 30 years earlier. So I'm down at my office thinking, Lord, help those two churches to get back together. 
it'd be it'd be it'd be wonderful news if th those two churches could merge. Well, the the bad blood was still running 20, 30 years later from that church split. So one day I'm in my office, there's a knock on the door, knock, knock, knock. I open it up and there is John Wayne himself, Dr. Jess Moody. And uh, he, he asked me if I would be interested in merging our churches. And um, I told a little bit of this story Sunday where I took it to the board and they said, let's, you know, if God opened this door, Let's just keep walking through it until God shuts the door. And that's basically what we did. But we merged a Christian church with a Southern Baptist church. And you can't get two churches in the same denomination to merge. And uh, I thought that if we could get Rocky Peak and Shepherd to merge, it would be great for our city, just that story. But God had another story. God had another plan for a Christian church to merge with that Southern Baptist church. And uh, Jess and I had reached an agreement that he was going to preach. We, we have Saturday night church at Shepherd, and he did not. So he was going to let me preach every Saturday night. And then on Sunday morning, he would let me preach at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning. He would preach at 11 o'clock. So when we merged, his church could hear him, my church could hear me. And you could go to any service you want, but I could preach every week and he could preach every week. And he said, once a month, I'll let you preach all three services. So that was the plan. It was a good plan. And one day about five o'clock in the morning, I could not sleep. So I went to breakfast at a, at a restaurant over here and I walked in about five o'clock in the morning and Dr. Jess Moody was in, sitting in there. He had a big old stack of pancakes. He was pouring syrup over them. We had not merged yet. We'd kind of worked through all the details of how we're going to co-pastor. He's 70 years old. He goes, sit down, Dudley. So I sat down. He goes, I've decided I'm leaving. There's not going to be two pastors. He goes, the church is yours if you want it. And, uh, he goes, you got to take on the debt. The debt's $9 million, and we're going in the hole, 50000 a month. He goes, if you want it, it's yours. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, I'm retired. I'm done. I'm leaving. I've had enough. I'm out of here. And so a little bit like the church plant thing, Rusty, because anytime there's a transition of, of pastors, there's always some power struggles with who's really actually leading. I told him, okay. But I said to him, if you leave, because I said, you're going to be the senior pastor. I'll be, your, I'll be your assistant. I get to preach Saturday night and Sunday morning at 9. What do I care? And it's his church. It's his baby. He's 70. He's been here forever. I didn't want to push him out. But he chose to leave. But I said to him, if you leave and you change your mind, like I'll be preaching all three services from this point on. I'll be the only pastor here senior pastor. But if you're gone for a year, if you're gone for two and you change your mind and you want to come back, you can come back. I'll let you lead. I'll go back to being second fiddle. You do the 11 o'clock main service and I'll do Saturday night and Sunday morning early. So I said, I'll, I'll accept your offer. But if you change your mind, you want to come back, you come back and we'll just put things right back where they were. He said, fine. Of course, he never came back. The rest is history. <laughs>
Oh, I love that story. It's just so cool, Dudley, to see, I mean, California, it's a really difficult place to do church work. I don't think people that have, you know, that have just visited here get it until you've lived here for a while and figure it out. Um, but it's also a great place to do church because people are so open with their brokenness and their, their problems, and they'll try anything once, so they're going to try Jesus if you give them the opportunity. And then you come out here, and because you came from, I believe it was Iowa, is that right? Is that yeah. where you were at before here? Des Moines. Yeah, Des Moines. So you, then you come out here, and just the creativity to merge a, a Christian church with a Southern Baptist church, the creativity to do a, what we now call a beehive-type church plant, and then to do it again and then do multi-site, and then to have the creative idea of randomly showing video in your service to get people used to that medium. I mean, it's been, it's been a legacy of cutting edge, my friend, and we're the recipients of all of that. So thank you. Thank you so much. Rusty, I always say it's the blind leading the blind, buddy. <laughs> Man, no kidding. That's the way it feels sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> Okay, I got to ask you this before I let you go. The NBA Finals start tonight. You're a big basketball fan, big Lakers fan. How many games does this series go, and do the Lakers win? Well, if, if I'm a betting man, which I don't bet, but there, I have very little doubt the Lakers are going to win, primarily because of LeBron and Anthony Davis. They're two of the best players on the planet, A. B, LeBron has this – fierce competitiveness he he will not allow that team to lose three the west is always stronger than the east especially in the last few years the only time the east has been good is because lebron was at the east but typically those teams in the east are they're just not as strong as the teams on the west anything can happen on any given day like baseball starting tonight dodgers and they're only doing a best of three yeah uh, anything can happen best of three, but best of seven, usually the stronger team wins. So unless LeBron or Anthony get hurt, Lakers are going to win this thing. I'm going to go, I'm going to get, I'm going to say five games. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me if it was four, if they swept them, but uh, I, I'm going to say their last two series, they've won five, four to one, four to one. I think this is going to go five games. I'll be shocked if it goes six shocked. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I will be too. The Heat scare me just a little bit just because they've got a lot of three-point shooters. I think us losing Avery Bradley really hurts us on the perimeter. But Anthony Davis cannot be stopped, and LeBron won't let himself be stopped. So I, I, think, it's, uh, I think it's over, hopefully. Well, we went small ball with Houston. So yep. we, we took the Dwight Howards off the court. We brought in that Murray guy and put him at their center and let – I mean, I, I think we can play small ball with them, too. Plus, we've got playoff Rondo on our team. <laughs> we do have playoff Rondo. Man, never thought I'd be cheering for him after he played for Boston. But, wow, this is uh, – it sure is fun. Hey, hey, I want to I congratulate you, though, on your 20th anniversary and, and uh, just for doing an incredible job. People don't, I will say this for those who are listening in your, in your circle, that people have no clue – to how much pressure pastors have been under with this COVID-19 and uh, the burden that, that we share. I've never felt the pressure and the discouragement that I have felt. And I know that you're feeling it. Hmm. Uh, so I pray that as you guys get back in there and begin to reopen that uh, again, God just 
God shows favor upon you and your your team and uh, the people up there in that valley. Thank you, Dudley. I so appreciate it, my friend. Keep up the great work and uh, look forward to hanging out soon. And don't forget the little kids running around your church. They're the next. They're the next leaders of the church. Amen, buddy. Little Some of them I have questions about, but you know what? God's hey, we, had a, we had a few questions about you. <laughs> That's probably true. Thanks a lot, buddy. All right, buddy. God bless. bless you.